0: Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Anchor. Go download the free Anchor app to listen to Beers, Business, and Balls and thousands of other shows today. This is episode 59. Adam Henderson from Beer on Earth in Providence, Rhode Island is with us. Jake and Will back at it. And we blinked and it's August. It's almost the end of August? Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what month it is anymore. Yeah. It's just so fucked up that it's going to be fall soon. We've got football in a couple of weeks. We've got the Oktoberfest events that are starting to happen. Beer festivals are back now. We just had brew at the zoo at the Roger Williams Zoo a couple of days ago. I mean, I don't know if I'm ready for it to get cold again. I'm ready for the fall. The fall
1: is, I think, a superior season. Um, Pants and shirt weather is 10 out of 10. Hoodie season always I'll give the you best that. Yep, I'll football give you that. um like your sundays are now like you can stay at home a little bit more save a little money i mean you're still gonna gamble so not save the money <laughs> uh leaf peeping leaf peeping oh true that's pretty that's pretty cool yeah um cold brisk air with a nice you know <laughs> smoky smell to it if you're by the fire pit that's always good um
0: hearty food Apple cider. Apple cider. Apple cider donuts. Yeah. Um, what else? I mean, you mentioned Oktoberfest beers. You know what's underrated in the fall is a fall beach day. Fall beach day? You know, it's like 60 to 70 degrees out. You'd go and you don't have to swim, but the water's still warm. You could just chill. You just chill, maybe have a couple of beverages if you want. Some food. It's nice. The beach is nice in the fall. Pumpkin spice coffee, mm-hmm. pumpkin beers. Yeah, uh, pump. Yeah, uh, I don't know anything else. Pumpkin. I mean, pumpkin breads, pancakes, yeah. all that shit. Okay. Yeah, pretty good. You know, it's I'm, a it's a pretty good season. I never knocked the fall. I don't just think I'm ready for it. Yeah, I think the summer came and went. Well, I mean, you still
1: technically have 20 days. Twenty-two days. I know, but
0: when September hits, you're like, "Oh fuck, it's yeah. fall." Basically, yeah. It's not like we have to go back to school. That's. Uh, this is such a weird time because it's like you have the back to school vibes. You're like, "All right, do I need to go get like a backpack and some yeah. notebooks and shit?" <laughs> it's
1: like, "Nope, work is does not get shit." No, work
0: is like, "All right, yeah, you're still in
1: balls deep in this project yeah. here." Q <laughs> three like, is probably like one of the biggest quarters
0: of the year. Mm, hot yeah, take. Uh, <laughs> Should we do like a Mount Rushmore yeah, of, of quarters? <laughs> Two, three. Well, That's, then what do you have, Mount take. Rushmore? You got four. I uh, exactly. Yeah, you got to uh, rank them. It's a <laughs> number one, three, number two, four. I <laughs> uh, I don't know. Now I'm curious. Um, yeah, but w- great guest in Adam Henderson coming up uh, today. Beer on Earth is a great place in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, right on Fountain Street. And if Fountain Street sounds familiar, that's because there is a lot going on in the beer scene down that way. You have got Bayberry Beer Hall, which we've raved about. Um, if you don't know what Bayberry Beer Hall is, you probably are a first-time listener because we talk about it all the time. Um, and Moniker Brewery right across the street too. So we talked to Adam about all of that stuff. You know, running a brewery. Um, you know, how it came, how it basically came to be. We talk about his initial plan to start that brewery in Texas and talk to him about how he survived COVID, how he's currently surviving with all of that going on in in the beer scene near him. We're watching the Yankees lose. I'm sorry. I'm like so distracted (laughs) right now. (laughs) Fuck. I'm so mad. (sighs) Oakland beat the Yankees 3-1. We'll talk about that in the ball segment tonight, but let's dive into it. Grab those drinks. Here's Adam Henderson from Beer on Earth.
1: All right, everybody. With us this week, we're live on Beer on Earth, Beer on Earth, Providence, Rhode Island. uh, Actual address: four twenty-five West Fountain Street in Providence. With the man himself, Adam Henderson. He has built this from the bottom up, from a home brewer to, you know, now an actual location, and it's been here a few years. But first and foremost, Adam, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks
2: for having me on, guys. It's a pretty cool experience.
1: Uh, Yeah, excited to talk about. Beer on Earth and whatever else. We like talking about beer, so that's perfect. I guess we'll we'll start with the cheers. I mean, thank you so much for providing Uh, us some beer. So cheers, Cheers, man! What are we drinking at the
2: moment? So you two are drinking the Zest. Um, So it's a Goza style beer. Um, So it's a kettle sour beer that has sea salt in it, and then we add orange and lime puree to it, and we're trying to go for like a margarita feel to it. So it should have. kind of that tartness but also like a little bit of the sweetness too from the fruit and kind of should taste like a margarita.
0: I, I taste it. I yeah. taste the oh, salt yeah. kind of flavor. Yeah. We, are we working with a gose kind of deal or is that kind of what the style is? Yeah, here?
2: that's exactly the style. Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah. So what about
2: yourself? Uh, so I'm drinking the Westbound Street Pilsner. It's kind of like our flagship lager. It's just a crisp, clean German style Pilsner that we lager for like five weeks in the tank, and uh, we serve it, uh, it's usually a few times a year, maybe four four times a year, we try to have it available, so it's definitely the lager that we make most frequently in our rotation, and it's kind of like a
1: flagship brand of ours at this point, I would say. Now, what's the style of beer on earth? Is it a little bit of everything? Is there something that you prefer, or you have a favorite of, or it's kind of like, you know, whatever you and the... Uh, the brewer decide on yeah, what, what to be cooking for the month. It's
2: it's a little bit of both. Um, obviously, we're more IPA heavy than any other style. So single IPAs, uh, double IPAs. That's uh, kind of our bread and butter, I guess. Or that's what we started off doing. But we're we personally myself, my brewer uh, tend to like the lagers and some of the lighter beers. So we try to rotate those. And we have a one lager on at, at each at all times usually the pilsner or if it's like the fall we'll do like a fest beer or we'll do like a, a winter lager in the, in the winter so we, we try to have like seasonal lagers but try to rotate the pilsner in and then we do a lot of like kettle sour stuff too we have like the donut series which people like it's just different fruits oh yeah. yeah and uh try to mix in some like traditional saisons and and um, you know other t- like wheat beers and stuff like that and, so it's like we always have like at least one or two IPAs, but then we try to rotate everything else. Yeah,
0: so
1: good variety,
2: good right? Variety yeah, stuff. yeah. no, of course, Not exactly. So the model is essentially we want anyone to come in. Regardless of like what kind of beer you typically drink, and we're pretty confident that we'll have something that you'll like. You know, so it's not going to be all IPAs, not going to be all stouts or anything. We try to like balance it so someone could come in and maybe they're a craft beer drinker, but their friend isn't, but they still want to take. Their friend out, and you know they'll be like, "Well, what do you have that tastes like this beer?" And typically, we have something that will taste like
0: that style. So. Right. Well, we'll talk a lot about that and kind of where the industry is going and that that good stuff as we get on. Yeah. Take us back to day one, though, um, and even before day one, that you, before you had this beer on Earth location, before this was even a thought. You know, how did this come to be? How did we get to? Where we are now, from where you were.
2: Yeah, so it's kind of a pretty long story, um, but it starts off with I'm assuming how most breweries open or most bars open, where you're drinking beer. In this, in this instance, I was home brewing beer, and you know the the friend that I was homebrewing with was. We we're both like we should, we should do this like professionally, right? And it's like fun. <laughs> well, let's do this. Let's open up a brewery. Uh, so. That friend and I worked towards a business plan, and this was 2007, 2008. Like this is a while ago, and we were going to open up a brewery in Texas because that's where he was from. Long story short, that never happened. But uh, that itch had kind of always been with me because we completed a business plan, and you know we were pretty far along. But uh, I think he just kind of got cold feet, and it just it made sense not to do it at that time. But uh, Open. So, with that being said, when I went to open this place, um, I found a, a partner who also wanted to open up a brewery. I, I'm still into it. And we started homebrewing together. Um, we won gold medal at a national, not national, regional homebrew competition up in New Hampshire, which kind of like validated what the beers we were making and we're like, maybe we could do this professionally. And then we opened up our spot. Our original location was in North Kingstown. So, my partner at the time owned a bakery there and he had some extra space. So, we set up some small equipment in the bakery and we're doing uh, brewing beer there in smaller batches, but something that was like manageable for us to do, not as professional brewers. I'm not a professional brewer. And then um, when this space opened up, so Long Live used to be here, they moved out. And then we got in touch with them, purchased their equipment, and then moved in here. And uh, around that time, my partner ended up, like, leaving the company. So then it was just me kind of, you know, running the company. But I hired a professional brewer, Cody, who uh, has his chops in different places around Rhode Island and Massachusetts. And uh, so he, he's responsible for the beer that you guys are drinking now. But uh, So it's kind of like a small operation, but it's, it's a small location, too, so we don't need, like, a, a huge team. But... Uh, That's kind of like the origin story, in a nutshell.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, that's why I wore our House Brewing Company shirt. We do some home brewing as well. So, (laughs) and, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on, it's like you are that success story of, like, as most breweries are, but that special sauce of, like, you start small, and you finally have a brick-and-mortar location. And I love the description you have on your site. A 30-quart stock pot from Job Lot, a mesh bag, and some books. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty accurate. That is yeah. the start of most breweries, but the start of yours as well. Yeah, definitely.
2: We started like small, and we just read everything we could about brewing, and we tried to learn as much. We tried to enter our beers in as many competitions as we could just to get that feedback, Always, your friends are always going to like say the beer tastes good because they're drinking free beer, you know. But it was like good to even like we, we entered like one homebrew competition and just got like annihilated. But like all of the feedback was all stuff that we could change and work towards changing, whether it's like being more consistent in the mash or like you know, whatever it is, like we would tweak it and then. When we did that other one, that's when we started to get to get medals. I'm going
0: to stop here right there. Let's dive into that a little bit more. You know, you guys were homebrewers, uh, entered the competitions and whatnot, and you got a bunch of feedback. Is yeah. there a specific story or a specific piece of feedback that jumps out as like, wow, that really changed the game for me? Or maybe this beer that won the medal that we wouldn't have won without a piece of feedback or something like that? Any stories from the homebrewing competitions, basically? Uh,
2: yeah. Um, so the first competition we did, like we got... You know, they're brutally honest, you know. Your friends are not going to say your beer tastes like Band-Aids no. and stuff like that. <laughs> no. so you Band-Aids, said, that's a new one. Is that yeah. a comment? That's a Literally oh, a comment. Like, and that's like a certain, like, off flavor that's... A lot of these off flavors, like, they probably taste more specifically like other things, but it's, like, easier to say, like, oh, it tastes like medicinal or it tastes like <laughs> Band-Aids or, like... Uh, like Robitussin or cough yeah, syrup. Yeah, or, yeah I'm trying to yeah. think of, like, some of the other good ones, but, like... Uh, if it's like butterscotch, that means it has like diacetyl in it. Like, yeah. you know, so those are like, or like buttered popcorn, you know, like things that are like pretty good on their own, but like beer should taste like <laughs> right. that.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll second that.
2: So like finding that out, they would be like, if, if, if we were getting flagged for like diacetyl or if it was some other issue and that was a, con- like a, a theme in the beer, then we would research that and like, what can we do to not have this issue, you know? So it was more like, it was really good having that feedback because a lot of those off flavors, uh, like I might taste and you might not, or you might taste and I might not. So like, it's good hearing it from judges who are like, have some credentials and can actually openly and honestly talk about your beer in a way that's like, you know, non-biased and stuff like that. Whereas like your friend, like I said, your friend's might be like, oh, this is great because you're giving me free beer. <laughs> uh, it might not be good, but like you kind of get you know, your taste buds get blind to it because that's what you're used to drinking. So uh, we went up to New Hampshire for the regional one and I don't know. We just had some kind of confidence that maybe like the beers that we were submitting were better than the ones at the first one. And they were. And we didn't we, we kind of had a feeling we would do well because we were really, really confident in the beer and uh, we had a smoked brown ale that I think took third place I think it was bronze and I think the, the gold was the California common uh, beer so we, we meddled too one one gold and, and one bronze and we were just like pretty pumped Like, and those are like we did the smoke brown at the previous location. We haven't done it here. We haven't done a California common either. So it's like weird because we, we did well on these beers, but it, they're not even like styles that we regularly yeah. brew here. Right, right, so.
1: Um. Yeah, so the science behind it though, it's like when, when did it finally click to you? It might have been obviously these competitions, but like for you to even enter those competitions, when was it like that aha moment of like, hey, I have a decent product?
2: yeah i think i think we thought it was good and we we did everything we could to make the beer as good as we thought it could be and then we entered into the competitions and thought we would do better in the first competition than we did but we took the feedback and then we tweaked our system and kind of like dialed things in a little bit more to kind of address the feedback that they had in that first one and that definitely helped us in that second competition the the regional one and like going forward um so like i said we, we started off with literally like uh uh, pot from job lot and like turkey fryer burners and like we had this cooler that i, I made into like a mash tun and stuff like that um and stuff like. actually not even a mash tun. it was just we did uh the brew in the bag system so it was just like yep. literally to hold the mash like at a certain temperature and it actually worked like so it's funny like looking back at the equipment and thinking of like how jerry-rigged it was but like also how you know, we got, like, a gold medal in one of the competitions.
0: So. so did you guys go right to all grain as soon as you started then? Yeah, wow. yeah we did all grain. Because I'm yeah. hearing the cooler and stuff, and I'm like, wow, if we if we had started doing that with a cooler, we would have been way in and over, way over our
2: the brew in the back is great. Like, yeah. I recommend that 100% to all grain, because I feel like it's, you don't have to make this crazy, like, mash tun with, like, you know, the PVC pipes and cut it out or do all that weird stuff. You just put in the... the I'll, you know, mill it, put it in the bag, and then just, like, lift it up and let it kind of drip out and then, like, hold it at, you know, whatever temp you need it to, when it's still in the bag. But, like, like, I feel like the, uh, there's less, like, barriers to entry, like, with the brew in the bag system versus, like, you know, a Gatorade cooler mashed-up thing, you know? But a lot of people like that aspect of homebrewing is, like, you're kind of creating your own equipment you're kind of taking something that's not used for that, and you're making beer with it. So that's, that's cool, too. I think in terms of, like, for consistent consistency's sake, um, just getting your equipment dialed in and being able to replicate that, replicate that every single time is, like, the most important part about brewing, uh,
1: especially home brewing. So you went from the home brewing, and you, you, you figured out the science there, yeah. but the business science was a whole new ball game as well. So when did you, you know, develop this business plan? Obviously, you had that initial, you know, yeah. Texas brewery, but for Beyond Earth, it's yeah. like when did you sit down, create the plan, crunch the numbers, and you know, establish this overall business that you created? Okay. I yeah, I think
2: I that, uh, doing the the Texas plan, I think helped in terms of like researching and getting some like figures and stuff. But by the time we opened up the place in North Kingstown, all that data was like. Out of date, you know, at that point because it was like you know many years later, and it um, it was like a different model that we were going to go for there in North Kingstown. So, like I said, my partner at the time he owned the bakery, so he had a little like business sense in that regard, and we basically kind of went in it with you know we have to raise X amount of money to be able to afford the equipment that we want that we know we can brew on that will fit into the space, and then we'll figure out you know, how much rent we're gonna pay, because we were essentially subletting the space from the bakery that he owned. And then, um, so not like we were playing with house money, because we took out an SBA loan, we we had to, you know, qualify for the loan, we had to take the money out, like we have to pay the money back, you know. But we never got, we weren't spending, we weren't getting like hundreds of thousands of dollars to build out this brand new brewery. It was kind of like, we'll start in this bakery, it's, it's an investment, but if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, you know, and um, obviously, we wanted it to build the brand and make it bigger, which is what we did, but, um, so, so we just researched how much everything would cost, how much we could sell beer for, how much, we needed to like break even, all that kind of stuff, put it into like a business plan, uh, and submitted it to, you know, the SBA, who then gave us money to do what we said we would do, and then, we kind of did what we said we would do. We kind of changed it. I mean, like, I feel like you write the business plan and then you just, like, never look at it again because, <laughs> yeah, everything changes and you're growing and then the pandemic, like, you know, so you're constantly changing your model and everything. But I feel like you have to to be, like, a successful business, especially in the climate today.
0: Right. Um, building a team, you know, that, that had to be top of mind for you because you can't do everything right it was you and your partner at that point yeah. so you guys still have a pretty small team now but i would like to think and i'm sure will thinks the same thing that your your business wouldn't be the, the same without your artist paul um, uh, yeah. yeah and you know we it's one of those things where we just walked into your facility while waiting for you and we looked up at the mural we're like holy shit that's a that's a legit mural right there so talk to us a little bit about how it was building that team originally, and kind of what you look for uh, hiring now, and who you need to bring on your team? Yeah. So, Paul,
2: Paul's Paul been my ace in the hole this whole time. So, we were like best friends in college, and mm-hmm. he is just an unbelievable artist. Like, it. it Check him out on Instagram. Check out the painting. He does tattoos now, but uh, oh, wow. he, he, he was doing like fine art, like painting and stuff. And uh, So we knew knew each other in college. So he was going to be on board when I was doing the Texas brewery. Oh, okay. So that was design. Paul originally. That was yep. originally Paul. And then um, it was obviously a no-brainer when we started doing it in North Kingstown. When we were in North Kingstown, we weren't canning. So we didn't have like Paul was there, he designed the logo he did kind of that stuff but he didn't really have a chance to like, he didn't have a canvas to actually like put his artwork, his imprint on everything and that's when we moved here, obviously a lot of wall space, a lot of cans to be designed and he does like uh, such a good job with that and he's you know, kind of like my go-to in terms of like the creative side of things and and having uh, his input on the design element of the tap room of like everything
1: and then of like the cans and the beer, the beers themselves and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, the can art is definitely one of the most, um, well noticed and well, like just the bright colors and the great artwork. Like, you know, when you're grabbing this beer, it's like, oh, that's a beer on earth can. It's like, oh, how do you know if, even if you don't see the logo, it's like that artwork is 10 out of 10. Well, it's
0: very similar to not the actual artwork itself, but I think you'd probably agree. Like you look at Revival. And that's, when you go into liquor store, you go, that's a revival beer. The yeah, same yeah. way oh, that yeah, you, yeah. you see the beer on Earth can, you say, okay, that's beer on Earth because of these these yeah. styles or whatever it is.
2: And we've definitely um,
0: kind of like
2: gotten better as time went on in terms of like having that distinct style. I think when we first started out, he was doing oil paintings of each label, and then he would take that image and scan it and then mm-hmm. add like the text and stuff. Oh my God. It's just like... Too time-consuming. <laughs> so now he just does it on his iPad, and he can do it. it still takes a while. He still puts in, like, six hours. So that's all
0: cleaning. iPad stuff on the cans and all that? That's just straight from his iPad? Straight sketching
2: on his, like, iPad stuff, yeah. I couldn't
0: dream yeah, of doing that. Doing <laughs> that's
2: he's, like un- he's unbelievable. It's yeah. cool, because he'll do, like, some of the labels, he'll send me, like, a time-lapse, and it'll be just, like, him sketching it out on the iPad. You can see all the iterations, and it's so cool. And It almost reads, like, a little short animation because oh, you can good. see the label coming together like yeah. in real time and in like 30 seconds where it probably took him like six, six hours, hours to do it, yeah. you know? oh, so God. he definitely is dedicated to it and he doesn't put out stuff that he doesn't think is like up to par and, and we're the same way too like you know in, in terms of the art in terms of the beer we
1: want to make sure everything is uh up to our standards you know and we'll touch upon those standards as well. You know, what is that vision of beer on Earth? What is the vibe that you'd like to get from it when people walk in or try your beer, and uh, just the size as well. You know, you have ten barrels currently, so in that equation of everything, it's like you know what what are you expecting out of beer on Earth, and what do you hope people expect from you? Yeah, we
2: ultimately we want to have uh, a comfortable fun artsy kind of funky like environment when you come in Um, I think I have two like taproom employees now Uh, one she's been with us since day one actually before day one and then Will who's working now uh, I just hired him I think in October so they pretty much do all the bartending here and they're very good at making sure people feel comfortable, like, you know, joking with them, and checking in with them and stuff. So creating that vibe where anyone like off the streets, anyone in any walk of life could come in and feel like comfortable. And then we want to have um, that kind of artsy vibe, obviously with the mural and the artwork and the cans and stuff like that. And, um, and lastly, obviously the beer, like we want a variety, the quality has to be there. Um, so people will come back. So a few factors, customer service, quality of the beer, and then just like the visual aesthetic to kind of all work together to, to make people just leave and be like, that was a cool place. Like, we'll come back. You know, that's kind of like what we're going
0: right. to Right. And that's certainly what people feel, you know, I, speaking from experience, all three of us on the on the team here, you know, we've been and had similar vibes. It's, you know, hey, that was pretty good. Yeah. Good beer. Yeah. We all come back. Yeah. Right. So. That being said, you know, you've alluded to this a little bit already, but you're a small operation, right? You're not a treehouse. You're not anything that's going to be massively distributed all over the place. Ten barrel batches at a time. Um, It sounds like that's kind of, you know, in line with your goals and your plan and all that. But is that, you know, how much of that is capabilities? How much is that is choice? You know, kind of. A little bit of rationale behind, you know, why the size of what you're doing is the size, basically. Um,
2: So, part of it's by choice, part of it's by, I guess, necessity. So, we inherited this, we bought the system from Long Live. So, that's kind of like where they were at when they ended up moving. And they were selling a lot more beer than we were when we first started on that system. So, we weren't brewing like full... 10 barrel, maxing out the, the fermenters like Armando from Long Live was doing. So we've kind of worked up to that. Um, and then we've also sent, been sending beer out into distribution. So if we, if we have um, like the Orange Belt, so our like kind of like flagship IPA, we, we just packaged that uh, today, actually. And we sent you know, kept most of it in-house, but we sent some out to distribution. Uh, another issue that we have working against us is that uh, we have pretty big tanks. The t- 10 barrel's is a large tank size especially for an 850 square foot facility so we don't have a lot of cold storage so we can't really just like hold on to 10 barrels worth of kegs or or cans and stuff so we really depend on the beer turning over quickly or like our distributor being able to purchase some of it so so it just doesn't sit in the walk-in like the thing i always look at at it as all the beer that we package whether it's in cans or kegs it will always all sell like we never like have to dump any beer, but obviously you want to sell it sooner than later, so you can make more beer and then sell more beer. So um, I think that's kind of like the model that we've adapted: is that like let's make beer, keep it fresh, turn it over, send some to distro, keep some in house, so we'll turn and then just like make more as it necessitates, you know. And I, I think try to release a new beer each week, and then if we're doing like some experimental stuff. Uh, like the Saison, stuff that doesn't sell as well or as quickly, we'll do like a smaller batch of it, you know, so we're not stuck with 10, 10 barrels of a 3.3% Saison or something like that, you know, um, because then that sits in the draft line or that sits in the walk in, and now we can't make any more beer because we have to wait till that turns over. So it's all about like the IPAs, you max out the the barrelage, you know, and then the stuff that doesn't sell as well, you make less of it but the goal is that they all sell out in a month or two, you know, so you can make more.
1: And how much of a game changer has distribution been to the
2: business model? Uh, it's literally the reason why we're here today. Like if we didn't distribute beer during the pandemic, we'd be closing, yeah. like, 100% <coughs> close, like a hundred percent close. That and definitely taking advantage of some of the government like uh, grants and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so w- when we started, we, we wanted to do, obviously we knew the size of the equipment is probably more beer than we'd be able to like sell in-house, but you don't want to like, if you have like a seven, we have like a seven barrel like kettle essentially, but we have 10 barrel like tanks, so we could brew like, we could, you know, brew 10 barrel batches, we can over, you know, oversize it and stuff like that, but you don't want to like max out all your, your, your tanks if, if you're not selling that much beer. Um, so distribution kind of allows you to, to make more beer and then sell some into distro and keep some here as opposed to, you don't want to make like a, a three barrel batch, you know, when you have a seven barrel kettle and 10 barrel fermenters, you're, you're not living up to your, you know, capacity right. and stuff like that. So, um, so distro, we were only selling kegs at first before the pandemic. We had no interest to be honest in, in sending out any like cases of cans or anything. And then the pandemic happened, and no one was buying kegs. I mean, restaurants were closing, bars were closing, rooms were closing. So kegs literally became like obsolete. Like we got stuck with so many kegs that we had to like. We fortunately we have our own canning line. We could can off of the kegs um, because you could still buy cans and do the sure stuff. But then our distributors like, hey, let's let's talk about selling cases, like cans and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to. I don't want to be that brewery, you know. And then the pandemic got a little more and more intense and we're like, yeah, let's do it. And that now it's like a no brainer because we have people like looking forward to when their liquor store gets our beer, you know, in different parts of the state and stuff like that. So it's definitely helped bring people back here, which is our goal with distribution is like getting, the customers to come back to the brewery and experience this and like leave with beer here and stuff like that so uh, it's definitely achieved that goal and we'll continue to do that going forward
0: so that being said now where can the rhode island consumer maybe even beyond find your beer in distribution
2: yeah that's a good question and i don't always know the answer Um, (laughs) that's fair enough we kind of send our distributor beer and the cases, like, we sent them, like, 30 cases of Orange Bell, which is, like, a good amount. Um, and that kind of just goes wherever they sell it to. But, like, you, any liquor store that has, like, a good craft beer selection, like Bottles or, like, Nicky's, uh, Wines and More, like, those places definitely pick up our stuff. And then some of the smaller places will have it if it's still available. Um, in terms of restaurants, we... Uh, We'll have our stuff at like um, Bayberry, the Abbey, uh, Muse Tavern, buy some of our stuff down that way. Uh, What Cheer, they like buy pretty much all the time. Uh, Dr. Duff's and Johnston will buy some stuff. So there's some like regulars that like every time we have beer, they'll buy it. And then there's other places that maybe are not the first to jump on it, um, but will buy it if it's still available in inventory. And sometimes we do like pre selling. So like, the, the contacts that I have or will has you know at these places will be like hey we have you know uh, 3 kegs of raspberry donut going out we know that you like that i can like allocate one for you and stuff like that and they they appreciate that and they most likely always will, like, say, yeah, like, say one. So uh, it's trying to maintain those relationships with the accounts. We lost that a little bit during the pandemic because you couldn't really do stuff, like, in person. But now we're starting to get – Will's been pretty active in setting up, like, tasting events at, like, different liquor stores. And uh, we're doing some, like, beer festivals again, thank God, because that's, like, one of the most fun part of, like – being in the industry so like stuff like that's opening up again and we're trying to just get more exposure like
1: being out in
2: in public and stuff with the beer so were off you, of that I was too say, were you
1: at the were you at the rhode island beer fest back in oh. uh, January of 2020 it's at the uh, it was at the uh water, water fire, fire. Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah we were there oh we were there I too we were I don't know how, we were there physically uh our bodies were gone after a couple things oh yeah like was.
2: <laughs>
1: but, that's a really good
2: one like they they do a good job putting that one on um so i'll Hoping, fingers crossed, that comes that back. it comes yeah. back. So
0: the only thing that we didn't do right was we walked in and we saw the people with like the pretzel. uh yeah. I don't even know what to call those. Yeah, they're pretzel, pretzel necklaces, actually. Yeah, it's literally, a necklace and they're they just pretzels. we're just like we walked in there. We go, ah, oh, fuck, we screwed up. Yeah. Like we yeah, did yeah. not we yeah. get one. Make, <laughs>
2: it was a mistake, but like now you learned. Like, yeah, yeah we got we we pretzel necklaces. I didn't
1: expect a hundred places, and like, they gave us the list, We're like, we got to hit them all. Right, we're going. You did like that was.
0: So we live in a complex right next to it. So we walked we'll over there we're, and we're like we are not yeah. driving we don't have to worry about it that's you know, we're, the best yeah
2: i think that's another huge plus to this location is that so many people live in this neighborhood where they can just walk and like feel good about you know maybe having an extra beer and stuff and not having to drive so right it definitely helps a lot
0: and, and let's i want to go that direction now too you know this neighborhood we're on fountain street in providence you can call it Broadway. You can call it Federal Hill. It's it's very close, right? Very populated. Yeah, yeah. Very pretty young, you know, um, millennial area, if you will. And there's a lot of action going on down here now. I mean, you've got Bayberry right down here. You've got Moniker now right across the street. Now, something that we've talked to a lot of brewers about is. The more brewers, the better in the area, right? Um, And that seems to be the sentiment, but that's got to hit, you know, in all honesty, a little bit closer to home when you have a brewery open right across the street. Yeah, definitely.
2: Um, I think it has its advantages and disadvantages. Um, I think the biggest advantage is that Providence itself is becoming a destination for craft beer, you know, with other breweries opening up, Revival opening up in the Valley, Providence Brewing Company is opening up there. Uh, there's possibly a couple other breweries in the works. So it's like turning into a city, maybe like Portland, Maine. Not quite, no one's, Portland, Maine's Portland,
0: Maine, no, it's but like, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: but it's turning into a place where people from out of state are like, ooh, there's a lot of breweries in Providence. Let's make it an issue to go there. Whereas before when Long Live was here, it was Long Live, Trinity, Union Station,
0: I can like you argue like, maybe proclamation i guess if they were right, even
2: but that's in Warwick, Warwick, yeah. yeah that's true oh yeah well so like in an yeah. actual city in the like city yeah the you're right city not a huge city but not like tiny tiny either there's only like three or four breweries there So now, I mean, that number is going to get doubled, and it's probably going to get doubled again, you know? And I think that's a good thing, because you're attracting the people that are going to come here, go to Moniker, go to Long Live, go downtown, to the downtown places. So it's becoming a destination. We're seeing that more and more on the weekends, definitely, like the Saturdays, the Sundays, even the Fridays, people are... You know, we talk and we try to get as much info out of them as we can as to how they found out about us. And a lot of people are finding are either on vacation or if there is any silver lining to the pandemic, which I'm not convinced there is, but... <laughs> More people are moving from more expensive cities like Boston or New York to Providence because it's cheaper, and they're working from home anyways. So we've got a lot of people, and this is kind of the neighborhood where people move into. Because like you said, it's like a, it's an up-and-coming, kind of like younger demographic, fun neighborhood. You can walk anywhere and do anything, you know. Uh, so we see more people moving from out-of-state and not, not paying the rent of like New York or Boston or the the drink prices of like those cities and like kind of living it up in Providence. And we've seen a lot of that, which is pretty, uh, pretty encouraging. Like I've been in and around the area for a while and it's like, you kind of want to keep it a secret, right? But as, like, a business
1: owner, you're like, know, yeah, just, like, it, it, them it, it has <laughs> to open yeah, up sometime. Yeah, some yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. got to get them out.
1: Now, in terms of, like, the Rhode Island community, though, are there any uh, particular brewers that you collaborate with or you have conversations with? Obviously, yeah. you have that link to long Live from yeah, the buildings aspects. but is there anyone else that you've, uh, you know, picked their brain or just at least get advice from or bounce ideas off yeah. each other? Yeah, so Armando and Jessica from Long Live have probably been, like,
2: our so, yeah. wow. – Best friends since day one, obviously, because they helped us transition into this and they were super cool about us moving in. And there's so many times where I'd go to Long Live and be like, Armando, like, I'm having this issue with this. He's like, Oh, yeah, about that. I was like, Okay. So it's like, you knew about that, you know? uh, But it's all good. So they've been super helpful. Um, We're really close with um, Morgan from Buttonwood. Oh, yeah. We interviewed Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's a good guy. He's like the most friendly guy in the industry. Like, literally. Anyone could talk to him. And, and he's helped out so many breweries during the pandemic who didn't have their own canning line. He was canning their beer. They would bring it to him and they would can it right at Buttonwood so they could sell beer in cans.
0: And that's another thing, too. I feel like Morgan just, he does not meet the profile of a brewer. Like our, he's a very different person than Armando seems to be, you know, yeah. in the sense that Morgan's, an, he seems like an extrovert, right? You know, he'll talk to whoever about whatever, whereas you have most brewers that they want to do their work and, and yeah, shut up, yeah. right? He,
2: he's definitely a huge advocate for. Uh, just, like, yeah, up-and-coming breweries yeah. and stuff. And, uh, so Shane and Erica from Origin are also, like, probably our best friends in the industry, too. We've done collabs. We've done collabs with all of, like, Long Live, Bunwoods, and Origin. Uh, we actually just did a collab yesterday with Ragged Island. Oh, uh, nice, yeah. We threw the ales for ALS beer. They've done it every year, and this is our first time doing it, so uh, they hit us up It's asked if we were interested in that. Um, and Appinog, we've done a collab with Appinog at their place. They're going to do one with us, I think, next week or in the coming weeks and stuff. So uh, we like the... Shades on, like those are our good friends too. We still haven't clapped with them yet. I mean, so far away, right? You know, like being in South County. Yeah. But, uh, so, so we definitely try to, it's not, not that it's like clicky. I think everyone is like cool with each other, but you definitely have some of the breweries that you're closer with than others you know, for various reasons.
1: Right. So, in terms of, you know, your career, building a business, creating beer, whatever it might be. Were there any particular mentors or people that gave you advice that really helped propel you to that next level? And if so, you know, what advice would you give to someone who was in your shoes, you know, way back when and, and to where you are now? That's a good question. Um, like
2: Armando was like a big mentor when we were moving in here, and like he definitely helped us out a lot, uh, just getting used to the equipment and stuff like that. Um, i trying to think of like non- industry mentors you know uh, if, if i can think of any i can circle back to that yeah i think my advice for, for, for people <laughs> trying to open up a brewery would be like don't do it because it's like oh, not as fun as you think it's gonna be <laughs> and you you can get sick of drinking beer like it, it does happen you know
0: um, we've come close to getting sick of drinking I beer, they, I think, beer i think literally
2: get sick Drinking. Oh beer yeah. Also. Like, yes. Yeah, so in a very literal yeah, sense. Yeah. Like get, like when, get sick when drinking we beer. first opened here. Like I was drinking like every day. And, and like sometimes you have to. Like we'll come in in the morning. And we're going to, like, can a beer. And it'll be, like, 9 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And Cody will be like, hey, you want to try this carbonation level? So you're, you're, like, literally, no no breakfast, no nothing. And you're drinking a beer first thing in the morning. (laughs) It it, it sits with you a little differently, you know. But it's just, like, part of the job. So um, I think you gravitate more towards, like, the lighter beers as opposed to, like, the super dense, like, IPAs and stouts and stuff like that. So that's kind of, like... that's uh, my transition has been to more like lighter styles, like stuff that I can drink a couple of and still I get work done and do that. Um, But no, I I think I, I wouldn't say not to open up a brewery. I just, it's like, it's hard to tell anyone to open up a business with the uncertainty of like the pandemic and everything, you know, it was especially difficult last year. Um, I think just like do your research and kind of know what you're getting into and, and don't just, don't like romanticize it, like actually look into like, are you going to, you're going to spend all this money like, building it out? You know, are you actually going to like make a return on that at some point? You know, is it going to be profitable? Like, you know, are you willing to work for a year or two without like actually making a salary? Cause you got to pay other people first, you know? So I think it's like things like that, where it looks like a very profitable and very like hot industry to be in, but it's getting saturated and there's just competition's not necessarily the right word, but there's just more options. So like what makes you, what makes your beer different? Either it's better or you're doing something special, but if you're doing something special, like just be aware that those trends don't last forever either. So I think ultimately it comes down to making, Quality beer consistently, and just having yeah. a good customer service and branding and stuff like that. So, if you could do that, then I think you'll be successful. I think this is the
0: most thorough and honest answer we've had from any brewer we've asked that question. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I have a bad time. Yeah. Line, so,
0: like, we've we've interviewed obviously plenty of brewers along the way, and you know they they give us the good and the bad, right? You know, last week we interviewed some folks from uh, from Hilton Head, South Carolina, that were we probably had the best you know glimpse into distribution i think you gave us the best glimpse into you know the reality of yeah, what yeah, you're about but, to get into you I, know? I,
2: like i'll it's fun like to, don't get me wrong like i was a teacher for nine years prior to this and this is way better than teaching every single day <laughs> right but, every single day but uh you know i'll tell people that like i own a brewery or whatnot oh, that's, like, the coolest thing in the world. It's, like, it's it's not, though. It's, like, a job. Like, you have to work at it. And, like, you know, if I was a teacher, like, I would be making, you know, a steady salary every week and over the summer when I'm not working. But now, uh, if there's lockdowns or if there's stuff like, you know, the money's, you make whatever you can take in in terms of income, you know. So it's not, if if you want a dynamic job, this is definitely for you. But if you want, Something where you can just like phone it in and kind of like you know not yeah and work cruise control hard. yeah yeah no, yeah it's, it's different, you know and you're yeah, off, you're constantly like adapting to the changing landscape you know like IPAs were king for a while and they still are but like people are transitioning to like lagers and like other types of beers that are not IPAs so you could be really good at brewing an IPA but like. You also have to be really good at brewing these other styles too. So, it, it, fortunately for us, we have a brewer that has experience doing all that and um, super satisfied with the beer that he's making. And I think we can offer that variety. But you just have to be. I think people go in it with like, I'm going to do a brewery and we're going to be like Treehouse or we're going to be like Trillium we're going to do that. And people are just going to come because our beer is going to be better or whatever. And it's not going to happen. Like no one's going to be Treehouse. Like no. Just, no one ever will be Treehouse. And and that's fine. Like, but how do you carve your like little like niche in this, in this industry? And if you can figure it out or, or just like have a cool spot that has good beer and like people like coming, like you'll be fine. You know? so.
0: Yeah. You just mentioned a, a big reality too for you. It's like, you know, if there's lockdowns or if there's something going on in the economy that people can't come drink your beer, then, you know, you're not taking home the money at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. with that, I want to talk about COVID now. Yeah, and let's do it. Right, and think of it still somehow. Um, yeah. March rolls around, you know, even before you know, like February and and January and all that stuff. You guys are doing pretty well. You guys are getting your beer out there, inviting people in, and then March comes, and you go from, you know, the proverbial packed house to zero. W- walk us through, you know. As the owner of what you just built, you know, was it? Oh my God, I'm absolutely screwed, or was it? You know, let me put on my thinking cap. You know, walk us through what those first couple of weeks were.
2: Yeah, it was like super scary. So we had just come off of uh, every year the Brewers Guild in Portland, Maine. Like uh, the Brewers Guild, the Maine Brewers Guild puts on a conference in Portland, Maine. I think it was like March first or second. Oh well. It's like brewers from all over New England. In this hotel in this conference going out drinking doing all that stuff and then like a couple weeks later everything got shut down and we're just like people probably got COVID at that point you know but you didn't even think about it so it went from like going out doing conferences doing events doing stuff like that to like yeah i'm going to shut down for like two weeks and i think everyone no one knew no one knew anything right and I think some of us naively thought that in two weeks, we'll just open up again. So we'll just do our part. We'll shut down, be responsible. And then it got to the point where, like, it's not opening up anytime no. soon. To the point where things are not going to get back to normal until we have a vaccine. The vaccine's not going to be at least a year away. So we are kind of at the mercy of what was coming down from the state level in terms of what we could, could not do. And there was, like, mixed messaging. Because the essential businesses were allowed to stay open and somehow that meant like liquor stores and like restaurants and stuff like that. But since we're a brewery, we're kind of in that like gray area, you know, because we are first and foremost a manufacturing, our license is manufacturing, uh, but we're allowed to have a tap room based on our license in Rhode Island. But we're not really a restaurant and we're not really a bar. So we're like our guilds fought for us to be considered essential. And once, so that, that was like the unknown because we knew that everything was gonna close that was not essential, but we didn't know if we were considered essential or not. So we're basically like, I was like thinking and uh, like that I'm gonna have to have my employees go on unemployment, you know, and just, shut everything down and, like, not make money and just, like, pay the rent with whatever we have saved in our bank account and kind of just, like, get through the expenses and stuff like that. Not not a fun thought I'll to have. have. No uh, especially since we weren't even open for, like, a year or so at that point. We were just starting out, you know, yeah. so our bank account wasn't, like, uh, full by any means. But then we were considered essential. So that allowed us to stay open. Then the question was... How do we sell beer, right? Because we can't we can't do this. This is the most profitable. It's the easiest. We put beer in kegs, put it in the kegerator, pour it, and we charge more money for a 12 ounces than we do for a 16 ounce can. A case of beer cost us ten dollars just in packaging. So like the labels, the the cans, the lids, the pack tech, the the pack techs, the, the trays. It's ten dollars off the top. It's not a profitable thing to do at all but that's what our model transitioned to so we were doing six barrel batches of beer we definitely scaled it back a lot six barrel batches of beer all of it was going into cans and then there was a cans shortage so now we're paying now we can't get cans consistently and we're paying more for cans so it was just like a matter of just surviving and holding on our distributor is like and this was huge they're like we will take whatever you can send us so knowing that we're like let's crank because we we're doing like we we're brewing one batch of beer and we'd split it into two and make <laughs> two different beers out of it add different hops and stuff like that uh which is what a lot of bigger breweries do anyways but we're like you know we can't just have six barrels of one beer let's have three barrels of two different beers like a variety um uh, but once we knew that we could send as much beer into distribution as we wanted, we started scaling back up the batches, sending a bunch into distro, and then selling it out of here. And fortunately, people were trying to support local businesses more. So we did have a consistent stream of people coming to get cans. You know, It just wasn't as profitable as it would be doing the poor. It's more work to make less money, and it costs more to make less money too. So. Um, that's kind of where we were, and then as things started to open up again, you know, we had the outdoor space open, so we could start doing draft beer again, which definitely helped us, and then it allowed us to like send less beer. Also, I don't know if we mentioned this: you don't make a whole lot of money sending beer to distribution; you essentially no, no. sell it yeah. for like half of what you would, yeah, you know, here. So, uh, have, selling all the beer in cans, selling it all into distribution, selling some out of the tap room. It was only a matter of time before that wouldn't be a viable business model going forward we were able to get like the ppp loan and some other government assistance and that definitely helped us kind of stay in business but we i tried i didn't lay off cody like the brewer he worked at his regular salary the whole time Uh, marissa one of our taproom workers who's been with me since we before we opened like i was didn't lay her off either so she's able to to take a, a paycheck, and she was able to work and stuff like that. And then Will came on like after, kind of like as we were heading out. So uh, it was cool that we could like keep everyone on because I, I feel like it's important. Like it's a close group, and, like it's just us, you know. So it's like important to take care of your employees and stuff. And fortunately, I never had to be like, "Hey, you guys got to go on unemployment. I can't pay you anymore." So, uh, so Which is
1: I it's mean, good to hear, though. I mean, it's yeah, it is I mean, good to hear.
0: And that's scary. That's like, I, I couldn't imagine as a business owner what's running through your mind because I mean, that's how obviously you pay your bills, but then you've got to send the, the looming thought of sending people home and telling them, Hey, I can't, I can't help you anymore. Yeah. That must've been yeah. terrifying. Like, I don't know.
2: Just be like, yeah, because I, I, no one knew, no one knew when it was going to end. No one knew anything, but it wasn't good. Like there was nothing good going on. All the news was just like, yeah, this could take like a year. It could take more. Definitely taken more than a year at this point that we know. Um, hopefully not much more, but so, so the uncertainty I think was the toughest part. It's like, is this gonna close down? There were to be uh, completely honest, there were times where I'm just like, I kind of just want it to close down. Yeah, you know, I don't yeah. wanna like come in. There were when we didn't know what we know now, like there were times where someone would come in and like we were doing things where we'd like leave the the beer on the table and then they would like pick it up and there was no transaction we were wiping down doing everything we could to be safe but there was just times where we we're like you, you didn't know how you could get it and it's like if, if you touch something that someone else touched you're like am i gonna die yeah you know like so like those thoughts like constantly running through your It's your like is this worth even doing if we could die or like or not you know and, but we all took it seriously. None of us ever got COVID. Um, and every, it, it speaks to like my team and like, I guess their loyalty for lack of a better term that like everyone was like responsible about things. Cause they knew that if one person got it, then we're going to all have to quarantine for like two weeks and shut down. It would so shut down or it would slow and down and everything. And no yeah. one's getting paid. So I think everyone was on the same page and they were, took it seriously and we did everything we could. And, uh, kept it safe we
1: were able to kind of stay open which is good which is so great to hear and, and obviously you want to look to the future you don't know what's obviously you would have never expected two years ago that you're going to start a brewery and then the pandemic was going to happen you just don't know those things but what does the future look like in your eyes you know what would you want the vision of beer on earth to be in the next year the next five years the next decade whatever yeah. it might be what 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 are those you know future plans
2: i think uh they definitely changed since the pandemic because i think we had loftier goals before the pandemic happened and our bank account got drained and all that good stuff uh but i think now as things are picking up again we can kind of optimistically look towards the future uh we have like two and a half years left on this the lease for this spot and i think we are starting to outgrow it you know and it's tight like it's it's like Tetris every day. Like we have to like everything's on wheels. Everything gets moved out. You know when we're brewing, everything gets moved to the tap room. When the tap room's open, everything gets moved in. It. So there's no place to kind of like just spread out and just have that extra space or do events. Like I love to do like live music or have stuff like that. So I think the future of of beer on Earth is getting into a bigger, lo- not a huge location. Maybe even keep the same system like do 10 barrel i feel like that's kind of like the sweet spot but just have more space to do stuff that's more in line with what we want to do we were doing like art gallery nights before the pandemic i'd love to have like live music stuff like that just more interactive things like uh video game like tournaments like mario kart or smash Bros. that'd, be, that'd be sick yeah like like <laughs> yeah uh That stuff that we we used to have a TV on, on, and on Fridays we would set up the TV when it was like slower in the morning, you know, because we'd open at 12, so we'd have it, we'd just play like Mario Tennis or whatever Nintendo 64 game that we had, and we would love to do kind of more stuff like that, and um, just not really capable of doing it here, and I think. It would be nice to stay in this neighborhood. It's a little pricey, you know, to get bigger spots in this neighborhood. But it it would be nice to stay here and -hmm. and try to just keep our customer base but have like a bigger space that we can just do more fun things right on i mean
1: buy stock in uh beer on earth now yeah guys you guys guys seem like a fun spot i mean the beer speaks for itself your story is great and you know we're excited to watch this grow we're excited that you know hopefully the pandemic's behind us and we can come back and stay outside and drink some beers and uh you know watch this grow we appreciate you taking the time with us. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, likewise. You That's know, awesome. where can our listeners, you know, not only come and get your beer, and you've also mentioned where they can buy it in distribution, but, you know, where can they find your content online as well? You know, follow on social media, your website. You know, where are the places they can look online? Yeah,
2: so the best place to go is either our website, it's uh, beeronearth.com, or Instagram is probably the social media platform that we're most used most often, and it's at beeronearthbrew. So. Those would be the, the two places. I try to update the beer list as beers come on and off on the website, and then Instagram is where you're gonna get like the up to date you know uh, information as it as it comes.
0: And plug your merch too. You guys have some good looking merch in there. Yeah, yeah, so we what, what's shirt. on tap? We just
2: got some fresh shirts in, uh, which are pretty cool. We got some hats. So uh, we don't have a whole lot of hats. Mine's a little weathered, but they look <laughs> they look a lot nicer. A little sun beaten, you know. Or um, so one of our friends. Ryan, he owns Mac and Hound, so it's like a custom like he's like a custom leather worker. So he did all the leather work on the hats, um, stamped them, hand sewn them. And they're pretty sharp hats. Like, and uh, we have, you know, you can buy glassware. We have stickers. Paul does some pretty awesome stickers. So uh, there's always always trying to like do different designs when we like release certain beers and stuff like that. So just fun, kind of like cool maybe like eclectic looking like merchandise and stuff like and we try to like not be stale and just do like all the same stuff, or like just like the straight.
0: Try to like
2: try to be artsy in, in terms of like merch and like labels and stuff.
0: Yeah, for the people on on YouTube, they can see the hat right now, so that's that's <laughs> perfect. Go get a hat. They look um, nicer
2: when they're not like super <laughs> when they're not being. Like
0: they're the, yeah. Oh, love that. That's pretty hot. In the brewery, so yeah, and if you're not on the podcast, or if you're just in the podcast, go look at the YouTube and watch it. But um, Adam, thank you so much. Yeah, we you appreciate go. your time and letting us into Beer on Earth, and of course the. Beer's excellent, right? We'll be back for sure. And, um, you know, of course, we, we wish nothing but the best for you guys. Yeah, and I appreciate And we'll that. be back.
2: This has been a, It's definitely been fun. Yeah, great. For sure.
0: cool. cool. And that was just
1: Adam Henderson, Beer on Earth for our beers section. Um, another great story, you know, the brewer, home brewer, wins some awards, you know, changes his game plan, changes his strategy in COVID. And honestly, I don't think beer on earth gets enough love in the beer community. Um, It's definitely well well respected. A lot of people like to go there. You know, they do a lot of collaborations that, you know, they're very well known for Rhode Islanders. But I think their beers definitely, I would put it in the top five, maybe even higher in terms of Rhode Island beer.
0: We were talking about this the other day, and I I would have to agree because they make an underrated IPA. Very underrated IPA. You know, for... It's when when we have the Moniker guys on in the you know a couple of weeks or months or whenever it is when we have them on we're gonna have to get their thoughts too because right now for me I mean Beer on Earth is they just make better beer than Moniker they make hundred percent they make the beer. best beer on that street correct correct they that's the,
1: undisputed and like their artwork is above anybody else's I would you know you 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 see a Beer on Earth can you're like wow. One stunning artwork, like whoever made this, very talented, Paul Andrus, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then, two, it's like you know, it just stands out, and their beer is just miles and miles apart from some other places. I I think Adam's doing a great job there. Um, I love the location too. Obviously, it it gives that ode to the original long live, and they still have ties connected with them. But I think Beer on Earth, uh, hopefully after this interview gets put on the map a little bit more, puts more respect on their name. I think what Adam's doing he really tied in and figured out you know the team building aspect which i think is so important um he's very adaptable like pretty much went to that distribution model and the additional canning because of covid and that pretty much saved his business and he's just an overall nice guy i mean
0: very very knowledgeable uh we thank you for the interview and thank you for the great beers yeah everything was great um that Street on on West Fountain Street in Providence has some great food as well. Go check it out. In the same complex, you have Y Noodle Bar and the Slow Road, which is brand new, or they just reopened, I should say. You've got Tricycle Ice Cream on that road, too. Very good. Big Tri- shout out to our friends at Tricycle Tri- Ice Cream. Tricycle
1: Ice Cream. 10 out of 10 ice cream sandwiches. It's
0: delicious, and they're pre-made, but they are so good. So good. So oh, good. Oh, it's like you can taste it. It's fresh, even though yeah. it's pre-made, because I think they make them day of. Oh, yeah. Um, You've got Bucktown on that road, elite barbecue. Can you even call that barbecue or is it just like Southern food? I think it's barbecue. I
1: guess, yeah. I mean, they have like fried catfish and stuff like that. so That counts. Very, yeah, very Southern.
0: You've got the Avery on that road too, which is more of like a bar, pubby, kind of speakeasy. Always packed. And that thing, we have driven past it and it's on the corner of Carpenter Street and West Fountain. They make like a little triangle. And every time we drive past it, it is fucking out the door. Packed for cocktails yeah like go down to go to a bar but actually the avery looks to be a very good yeah. place to hang out so and then of course, we course to do
1: it and then of course you got bayberry
0: yeah bayberry is at the end of the street and then on the other side of that like where washington is um and westminster i mean classic cafe which is mm-hmm. a favorite of ours you've got pizza J right down the road uh julian's right on the other side of it on broadway so i mean that's a loaded place for food nice and beer little, nice little mm-hmm. neighborhood of stuff very it's it's got a good vibe
1: i mean Broadway's a very fun, walkable street. Um, yeah, because you've got Broadway Bistro. You've you got, got Nitro. You've got the, all the places. The Grange is over there. The Little Pocket and Fountain Street, 10 out of 10, like all good stuff. And then what was the other street? The one that has um, – Oh, like Classic Cafe and yeah. stuff. That's Westminster. That's Westminster. Yeah, yeah I
0: mean – It's the other side of the Westminster.
1: The other side of Westminster. So if you're even counting Westminster as a whole, you know follow the, follow the Yellow Brick Road down the street. It's like malted barley –
0: But you do, so you can't drive it. You have to go through the like the cathedrals in the middle of Westminster. Yeah, which is why it's weird because it's divided up. Like I'm not a fan that it stops and then picks up as Westminster treat on the other side. But I mean, if you're counting it, you can go by. You can go by
1: scooter. You can (laughs) go by scooter. I mean, yes, you can. Malted barley, Providence, coal fire, Dirks is around the corner. Mm -hmm. Um, Black Sheep, Great Bar. We're gonna have to break down
0: Providence (laughs) again. We're gonna have to break down. We'll do a nightlife yeah. kind of thing, and we'll be like, all right. Yeah, that, that we're saving that conversation for sure. Um, let's go to business. We're talking about businesses. We might as well talk about it. Chicago, and odds are you've experienced this. This is going to be a very Uber and Lyft and, you know, kind of like consumer services episode. Grubhub and DoorDash are in a little bit of hot water here. So Chicago is accusing DoorDash and Grubhub of harming the city's restaurants and their customers with high fees and deceptive practices when delivery and takeout businesses became essential during COVID-19. Now, I thought about this. I'm like, is this news? You know, I don't know. Let me look into this a little, little bit more. And I think it is. Um, Uber and Lyft, they're hiking prices on people. It's
1: insane.
0: And finally, you know, Zay did a good job of breaking this down. A couple of weeks ago, I think when he was on, we we're talking about, or actually that was two months ago now, but Uber and Lyft have been taking losses for many years. And now finally they have the user base. They're just jacking the price up and actually now profiting. So now you see that from like the Uber Eats side where Grubhub and DoorDash come out and they're trying to do the same thing. They're like, all right, here's your $15 burrito and you're going to pay us 30 bucks for it because we're fucking Grubhub and DoorDash. So I think this is accountability to me. I think that this is Chicago saying, hey, you've got to answer for this kind of shit.
1: I think Chicago putting down the foot and like calling him out is 10 out of 10. That is like, you have to, because we're at the point where, and you know, we don't know about the second wave or not, but when COVID was happening, it's like, they were a huge essential part of keeping a lot of restaurants alive. And granted, it's like they had to, you know, expose themselves and go through the early stages of COVID. Like I understand like the justified feed there, but it, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, a couple days or a couple weeks ago, I ordered Chipotle, and I didn't feel like going I didn't feel like going grocery shopping till the next day. So I'm like, you know what? I'll do dinner tonight and a lunch tomorrow. Two burrito bowls. They're each $10.99 when I get them at Chipotle. It was $55 with a tip what? fee. It was $55. How much should you tip? Dollars. So $30 was between tip, fee, surge, charge, oh and my everything. Oh God. And it's like, I sat there and I'm like, well, I already ordered it and I already had it on my mind and I had Ugh. a ton to do, but it's like, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. That's fucked up. You know, and it's going to get to the point where like, I don't know if businesses have this kind of t- statistics where it's like, okay, a Chipotle, right? How many orders from... Doordash and Uber and Grubhub that they get in a month they should have right that. and how many of those change month over month where if they see a drastic change you know obviously a place like that it's kind of like more chainy but these smaller restaurants hey I know everyone's short staffed right now but get in your car and start delivering it'll be cheaper and we'll get more business
0: yeah it's kind of right. tough
1: with the short staffness right now but if you have that ability to do it it's like you'll probably make more money and not lose out on business on uh, on business as a whole because people are like, you know what?
0: The takeout isn't for me tonight. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to spend 55 bucks right, two on two burritos. two burritos. Yeah. <laughs> so DoorDash push, they're obviously pushing back here, right? They said it's baseless. They said it's categorically wrong and will quote unquote, aggressively defend our business practice. Uh, and then they go, they pull the whole thing. They're like, this lawsuit will cost taxpayers and deliver nothing. I think that's a big F that's you. Yeah, come on. Come on. DoorDash has stood with the city of Chicago through the pandemic, waiving fees for restaurants, 500 granted direct grants. Because they have to. Yeah. It's because they fucking had to, because they're sitting on all this capital and they are they would get run out of the city by officials had they not done that. Right? Am I baseless to think that? No. Because I think it's... No. Uh, they had to do that. They monopolized
1: the market and it's like, you get to people kinda like Drizzly too, which is owned by Uber at this point. But it's like the charges out of stuff of these services, yeah, it's a it's not a want, it's a need kind of thing. Like you don't need to have delivery, right? It's like you could really like go out there and pick up your food, but they I don't know how to just like it's like, yeah, they they like the cost is justified in some way, shape, or form, but like these additional charges, it's just getting so out of hand. Yeah. Where it's not becoming like an app or a service that the everyday person can use. So, you know, you're making it more where it's like the only the people that can afford it can use it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, I think you said they monopolize the market, but it's not it's not just them, you know, it's the it's the conglomerate like Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats and I don't know, whatever the Postmates. Postmates. Um, there's a few others out there, but I see what you're saying in the sense of like they're, those sorts of companies have essentially run out the traditional way. And there's, you know, again, nothing wrong with it necessarily, but this is a nasty fucking consequence here. Yeah, no. I mean, it'll be interesting
1: to definitely see what comes out of this. I think it'll be one of those things where someone had a flashy comment to go
0: back and forth and nothing happens. Prices are just going to still go up. Uh, They will, which really sucks. Massachusetts just filed a lawsuit in July too, uh, for the same thing. Just Mm. looking at it. Um, Grubhub. Yep. They accused Grubhub charging restaurants, illegally high fees. Illegally. They said, they said it was against the law. Okay. That's interesting. The story's not over. Um, I don't know. Will I still get Uber Eats? I probably will. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's how just lazy we are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My favorite. What's your favorite thing to Uber Eats from around here? Chick Fil A. <sighs> See, I like going to Chick Fil A because they fuck up something Uber Eats almost every time. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, Chick-fil-A. oh, Chick Fil A. And that's a thing. Nice. Oh yeah, that too. I, I. I mean, I get that, but I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, you know, I. I don't know. They just piss me off, but America is mostly lazy. So they'll do that kind of stuff and they'll pay for it. Yeah. So this the government stepping in and saying, Hey, we don't want a restaurant be- or We don't want our consumers being stupid. Yeah. And that we want to go like get them out, basically put money in the restaurant's pocket. I don't know. I think it's one of those things. It'll blow over, but the story is definitely not over. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about charging fees and you brought this up here, Uber and Lyft. Now this is scary. um, There's rumors going around and some evidence that people say is pretty tangible that they've been charging higher prices based on your battery life. So if you have low battery, you're in a pinch, and you need to get home or just get your ass in that Uber, then they're going to charge you more money. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, I think every employee at both of those companies should be thrown in jail. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's at the point where it's like there's two things. It's
1: either one, you're in a pinch. And, you know, you were you, you need to get into the Uber, like you mentioned. Or the second being, it's been a late night. You went to the bars. Your battery's on low. It's 2, 3 a.m. So they're like, oh, this person is probably drunk. I'm going to charge them more because they have to get home. And that is just disgusting. I hope it's not true. I, I hope mean, that's not true. Things have been circulating for quite some time. But it's, it, it came back up on social media the past couple days, which I was like, huh interesting and i'm going to have to test this myself i think i'm going to have to test this myself and go to two places in the same time and go with 100 percent battery and go with five percent battery and see what
0: is the like what what's going on i agree we can we, it's a very easy test tell one of the buddies like hey don't charge your phone yeah leave it at five percent we're both calling an uber
1: and see and, what happens <sighs> Dude, that'd be
0: pretty fucked up yeah, this is one of... So, I, I did a little research before he we went on today, and this is one of those that, like, Reddit has been all over this theory for many years now. And it's resurfacing again because, you know, why not, right? With all this shit about Grubhub and you know, all this stuff coming out, it's, it's on the way up again. And uh, that's got to be illegal. It has to be. Because, first of all, you don't consent to... Anyone taking your battery information, that's pretty well documented in you know, the standard Apple Terms and Conditions, apparently, from these ba- articles where we've been reading, but I don't know. Someone should have to pay for this if that's the
1: case. Take down big ride share.
0: Big ride share. Um, talk about big, though. Tim Cook from Apple. Oh, my God. He's getting a $750 million payout. Um Oh, my God. This was part of a deal he struck when he took over for Steve Jobs, obviously. Um, So it was his 10-year anniversary. Right, exactly. So it was in his contract, and he was eligible for it, I guess. It had something to do with the stock performance, too. I think he had to actualize (laughs) it. Which, again, Apple is one of the top-performing stocks. I don't think (laughs) they need to be worried. Yeah. 191% over the last three years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That sounds about right. Yep. Um, Apple's share price has increased 1,200% since he became the CEO in 2011. That makes sense. Again, (laughs) I mean, look at how far Apple's come. Again, it's one of those things where it's like
1: people are like throwing their arms up and getting pissed off. It was in his contract. If you look at those numbers, you just said 1,200% in the past decade. I mean... When you go and see anybody or see your friends and your family, and everyone takes out their phone, it's an iPhone. Okay. Look look what's around right now. We have two Macs right here, two iPhones, and two Apple (laughs) watches, Watches, and fucking AirPods. It's like you go around the streets, majority of the people have AirPods. Everyone has iPhones, everyone has a blue message. It's Apple, Apple, Apple. I don't think people realize how much money Apple has, you know, which is insane. Um, what is the valuation 2.5 trillion Mm -hmm. so i'm not surprised i i remember a few months ago we talked about this where it's like airpods if they were their own business entity were like the 30th it was like the 30th most like revenue from a company Mm -hmm. if airpods was its own company which is in freaking sane how much money apple is worth and again almost a billion dollars as a
0: reward <laughs> we we paid for it we did it folks we, we did it i know we did it it was all our fault it was yeah. everyone in the world's fault you you it's everyone's fault you're listening to this it's probably on an iphone it's your fault you know what i mean he deserved it he i know he, he deserved did. it so you're welcome tim we basically paid for it yeah combined with you know Probably own a few grand in Apple products each, right? Well, it's it's like, like, how many iPhones have you had in your life? Well, I had three iPhone 7s. Because, do you ever have an iPhone 7? I've had, I had a a 4, a 6,
1: an 8, a 10. And I'm going to get the new one when it comes out. Yeah, the 10 now. Yeah.
0: So, the 7s... I had a bug in them and I had the same bug in three fucking phones and they're like, I yeah. got to the point where the third time I was there, they go, so just a little tidbit about the iPhone seven. I go, I can, ex-, I cut them off. I go, I can explain this better than you. It was this factory that had this issue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you need to do something for me. And they're like, we can't. I'm like, you're yeah. so full of fucking exactly. shit. And then I would, was an idiot and went the iPhone upgrade program instead of, and, and Great program, love it. I have a, a phone that I love and I have no problems with, knock on wood, the iPhone 11, great phone. But they hooked me in. I'm like, my whole life is Apple. I, what am I going to do? Buy a fucking Samsung Galaxy? I can't do that. You can When all my shit, like what am I going to do with my Apple Watch? What am I going to do with my Mac? All that. I've had four iPhones, an iPad, an Apple Watch,
1: two Macs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've had probably five or six iPhones over yeah. the years now. I've had the iPod Touch. I had the iPod Nano. Yeah, yeah. There's just nothing like opening a, a new Apple product, though. Say you're bought into it. See, That's you're the hooked. thing. Like you you're crisp, hooked. but who isn't? That's the thing. That's yeah. what they wanted to do, and they delivered on it. And I would pay a premium for it. It's that simple. I mean, I mean I wanna... realistically, there's like no other option. If you consider Samsung like an option, go fuck yourself.
1: It's I'm like sorry. I mean, seriously. It's like yeah, do they have a good phone and stuff? But it's like it like the the, the way you know, communication is and the app designs and everyone, it's Apple, 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 you know, no one really takes into account, you know, the Googles and the Samsungs of the world. It's like BlackBerry blew a three, one lead, <laughs> you know, and how BlackBerry's dead. They're but,
0: coming back apparently. And who's going to buy it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't who's know gonna, who's going to buy it. I just read a book where they talked about BlackBerry. What was it? It was, oh shit. Oh man. I, I don't know what it was, but, um oh fuck now i'm gonna get real pit. you know what it was think again by adam grant great book he just came out with it he's that management psychologist and he basically said how blackberry blew a 3-1 lead because the ceo was like no my consumers want it. a keyboard yeah i'm positive they want a keyboard it's worked and it will get us into the future two years later he's out of business yeah and it's because he didn't realize. Yes, you know, my consumers want a keyboard, but who says it doesn't have to be virtual? Mm-hmm. And now look at look where we are. Mm-hmm. You've got a slider on your MacBook Pro that is it lights up with different shit depending on what you're doing. That's incredible. We've just mm-hmm. come so far. That's business. So pretty loaded business week. Again, it's end of August. Not a lot of shit happens around this time. Except like some earnings calls. So this is some fun stuff that we're getting at the end of August. Um, Let's go into balls. Our Yankees were on a 13-game winning streak. They have now lost the last two. Um, I'm very happy for them. They did what they needed to do. They needed that 13-game winning streak very badly. It was their longest one since like 1961, which was really cool. Um, There's some work to do. We've got a lot of work to do in the playoffs uh, because it's wide open still. The Rays look good. The Red Sox look pretty good.
1: Yeah. It's good. Buckle up. Yeah. I mean, in terms of baseball as a whole, it's one of those years where it could be anybody. It really could in the East. It's like, you know, The AL East, I believe whoever wins the AL East is going to be into the World Series. I think that'll be my prediction, to be honest. It's like, and I'm not discrediting the White Sox or the Astros. Overrated. But I think they're a little bit overrated. I think whoever comes out of the AL East is going to the World Series. And then the West, it's like, Dodgers are very hot, you know. And so are the Giants, though. Obviously, so obviously the Giants, but it's like they can overcome that. People are loving
0: the Brewers. Absolutely loving the Brewers. See, that intrigues me. I don't love the Brewers, but they're good. Yeah. They're a pretty good team. I, I, like, I just think you put them up against the Dodgers or the Giants, they'll get their ass kicked. Yeah. The Reds are making a sneaky little push.
1: Obviously, the Padres are on the outside looking in, but you never know what happens with them. Um, and who else am I missing from? It would be... NL? Yeah. But, I mean, who's the central? Uh, that's the Brew Crew. Oh, the Brewers, yeah. Oh, the AL East? No, 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 the NL. So it would be the NL East. It would be the yeah. Giants, the Brewers, and, and the Braves, probably. Oh, yeah, whoever comes out of the East. That's it's a like a shit yeah, show. No one really, I mean, that one's irrelevant. But I mean, that comes into a good uh, switching point. The Mets. The oh, Mets fuck. being freaking Mets. Finally having some like fun and dignity and identity. You know, obviously the the Mets have been a dumpster fire since... For they've always been a dumpster fire, but since the All-Star break, and it's like they trade for Javi Baez, but things aren't looking bright for them, they finally have their cry call, the thumbs down, you know, copying the Yankees, and they're doing that because the fans have been booing them, rightfully so, and they've, no, they been, deserve giving, it. And they've been giving it right back. Well, all of a sudden, you know, T-shirts are being made, you know, it's circulating all across social media, the fans are speaking up, I mean, the players are speaking up, the Mets make their statement. Sandy Alderson says he does not tolerate this shit one bit. He's going to talk to the players and staff and be like, cut this out or your ass is grass, you know? So now there's a huge divide in the Mets. Steve Cohen has been dead quiet about it. Trouble in Queens, trouble in flushing the Mets are being Mets. You know, no matter what they can do to fix their issues, it always just goes back to their, you know, this just...
0: just I don't. It's just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. Lol Mets is back. Lol Mets is back. Lol Mets, baby, incredible, incredible stuff. Um, Booing the fans. They're getting booed by the fans. They boo the The fans fans right back. And Steve Cohen literally just tweeted as we're recording this. I miss the days when the biggest controversy was the black jerseys. He's just gotta stay out of it. He
1: is. I. He is the worst. You know. I. I originally thought it would be funny having like a fan as an owner and like playing this like a board game but I mean he is just the worst
0: Kevin Pillar's walking it back now he goes so, cause somebody's like we love you but are you booing the fans and he goes love y'all too I felt nothing but love in New York City no I'm not booing the fans we're having fun no different earlier than earlier this year when we were chirving. what the hell is chirving? please don't look much into this he said I feel like he's just walking it back I don't know the Mets are a mess. they're what sixty three and sixty seven now. It's like they were they were good. They were they had a better record than the Yankees at one point. Mm-hmm. And now they don't. <laughs> Ugh, the fucking Mets. Um all right, Little League World Series too. Michigan and Ohio. Michigan wins the championship. Um, Ohio knocked out South Dakota. I feel like that's a bigger story than Michigan winning. I mean, South Dakota was a wagon. They had two guys on their team. <clears throat> Matt, uh, Mun- Maddox Munson—that one was? real name. <laughs> Maddox that, Munson. was that his name? It
1: is Maddox Munson. Steve Madden—I mean, Steve Maddox and uh, Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox, yeah, Greg Maddox and um, fucking. Thurman Munson. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty, pretty. And then incredible. you had a guy
0: named Boston Bryant on their team. Yeah. You had a few other guys that were just like, I want to root for them so well. Well, the guy you want to root for the most is Gavin Weir. Yeah.
1: Chris Sale 2.0. Chris Sale 2.0. I'm trying to pull up his stats right now. He had four no hitters. He ended up with four. Holy four shit. of them. He Forty- pitched 43. Yeah. yeah 43 and, and two thirds innings. One hit allowed. Striking out 114 batters. That's fucked up. Oh, my. With an 86.4 strikeout percentage. If he was in the MLB, that'd be... That's... (laughs) For context, the highest strikeout rank amongst qualified starting pitchers in the MLB this season is tied between Max Scherzer and Corbin Burns at 34.4%.
0: Oh, my God. That is insane sanity. He has a 13 strikeout per 9 innings basically. Wait, if you did it strikeouts per 6 innings. That can't be right. I don't know. He's got a lot of, strike got got a lot of strikeouts. <laughs> I think my math is wrong. I'm not doing the formula right. That's why I did not study math. Um It's always nice to see these kids. You have the balance of the kids that are like just overjoyed to be there and the ones that are just fucking crying every time something goes wrong. I feel like we didn't get too much crying this year because probably there were less teams and less emotion. There were less fans in the crowd, but it was a fun Little League World Series, and I just hope we can bring the international teams back next year.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, because Chinese Taipei would have smoked everyone out of the water. I think
0: they would have played Michigan and beat them by probably 25. Yeah. They would have just ran around the bases on them. Sneaky good team. You know who I was disappointed with? Hawaii. Yeah, they went to they went that far and then they fucked up. Um, I don't even know who knocked him out. I think it was Mi- oh, Michigan. It was Michigan them. did, yeah. They had a pretty. Uh, it was two nothing in the semifinal. They like shut them down. Mm-hmm. Michigan staff was great. Um, all right, let's go to Pac-Man Jones. Pacman um, Jones losing a fight to Bobby Lights Out Lang Tough and Rowdy on friday i did not know pacman jones was a fighter until that happened and and pacman jones of course the former cornerback in the nfl he was i didn't think he was a great fighter what i thought i was really impressed by was how quick he was and how quick his hands were but he wasn't like he just felt uncomfortable in there like he just felt like he didn't know what he was doing throwing punches and and jabbing and that kind of shit. And that's why he ultimately got smoked.
1: Yeah. And he, obviously he's a better athlete. He is a, you know, an NFL player. I don't know what he did in the NFL truly, but in terms of like career wise, but I mean, he was always that dirty player. He is, he is an athlete, but the one thing that Bobby Lang had, I mean, he is a, you know, five time rough and rowdy champion right now. He knows that he knows what he needs to do. The ring's not that, not as big as, you know, a traditional boxing ring. It's three-minute rounds, three rounds. Like, he just needed to, like, survive and get some good hits. And he truly is a boxer. Like, Pac-Man Jones, like, he probably has some street fights now and there. And I think he got into some MMA um, afterwards. But it's, like, it comes down to it's, like, you know, you need the fundamentals in that short of stance. Now, if this was a fighting, like, kind of like Jake Paul and the Paul brothers do, where it's, like, it's kind of handpicked to them and it's, like, an official... You know ring size and like longer rounds and stuff. I think, I think Pacman Jones probably would have edged him out, but it's rough and
0: rowdy. You know, it's it's for the entertainment. Yeah, just amateur fighting, basically. Yeah. He was a wrestler.
1: That's, that's what letter. he
0: was. It was total nonstop action wrestling. TNA. Um, oh, that's what TNA is. Okay. So when he played for the Titans. Jeff Fisher said that his football contract precluded him from wrestling, but he still was with TNA for other stuff. Hmm. So he was around the the sport, and then he just started fighting. Hmm. All right. I mean, I will
1: give him one thing. He came in hot with a crowd. He was like 100 deep, (laughs) singing Country Roads Take Me Home. In his West Virginia Virginia helmet,
0: too, because he played at West Virginia. I
1: mean, it was an embarrassing
0: loss for him, but it was a good fight. You know, through and through. Yeah, so you can't lose on your home turf. You can't. 5'10", um, 185. Okay.
1: Not All right. That's a big it's, dude. Yeah, that big solid, dude. Fra- yeah it, solid
0: frame. It is a solid frame. I think, you know, he just looks way more big than he actually is, I think. Oh, yeah, he's
1: just jacked. He's huge, like, in terms of that aspect. Yeah,
0: and then we've got Jake Paul and, and Tyron Woodley that, by the time we're done recording this the you know we'll it'll be or by the time we release it it'll be over but i'm not staying up to watch jake paul no (laughs) fuck that shit i'll catch the high i'll catch the two minute youtube video tomorrow we you were talking about that a couple months ago it was like why stay up all this late on a sunday night when you can just watch the highlights tomorrow and get back in the twitter conversation yeah yeah
1: and the sunday nights it's like come the hell on
0: i know dumb Oh, That's annoying. Um, To wrap things up, we've got golf. Patty Ice, Patrick Cantlay beats Bryson DeChambeau. Thank goodness, because Bryson DeChambeau is the worst. Uh, And it was a six-hole playoff. And it's not even that that we're bringing this up for. It's the fact that DeChambeau looks at him while he's taking a swing, and he just goes, Patrick, can you please stop walking? Can you please stop
1: walking? It was like Can you please stop walking? And I'm like, dude, like... Why does everyone and their mother have real estate in your head? You're supposed to be this big, bad, you know, this just jacked heavy swinging golfer. You're supposed to make the game fun. And everyone has so much real estate in your head that it's like, get over it. Like, Mm -hmm. If the fact that the cameras and the microphones couldn't pick up the sound of him walking and he was directly behind you, it's like, dude. Just fucking swing and you lost anyway. He said, okay, sorry for walking. And then he freaking putted in a birdie.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> putted in a birdie and called game. And he's like, Ligma. Yeah, it's like <laughs> literally, dude. Like, that's so annoying. That's like the worst part about golf, they're such pussies about just it. Just
1: like, how, like, come on. But I, I mean, Bryson, he's just like, he used to be cool. It's like, oh, wow, he has like, this incredible power.
0: And he's oh, like, he wears this flat brim hat. Yeah. Awesome. He wears the flashy polos. It was like Ricky Fowler yeah. after Ricky Fowler. But he's now kind of a douchebag. Yeah. I'm um, way more than, than Ricky Fowler. Bless you. Oh, I tried goodness. to sneeze out, but I knew
1: I was going to pick it up.
0: <laughs> um,. Yeah, he was like, you know, how cool Ricky Fowler was when we were growing up. Like, fuck, he wears a Puma shit. It's all neon and awesome. And that was kind of like Bryson DeChambeau for these, like, younger generation of kids until they realized, like, oh, this guy's, like, an actual asshole. Yeah. Yeah, he sucks. Great golfer. Great golfer. I bet on him once, and it was Bryson DeChambeau to miss the cut at, like, plus 400. And I have never been more confident in a bet, and I won it. Yeah. I'm like, I just, he's going to miss the cut this week. He was either going to win the tournament or miss the cut. Yeah. I'm like, all right, this, this is where my money's going. I hate him. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, that's all we've got for balls. Positivity corner? Anything on deck? A little something
1: different. Um, it was one of those things where there's a lot going on, and, you know, we want to spend the time to, you know, highlight the positive things, but I think it was also, you know, and this is, you know, right on air, kind of quick as well. But I think we should also give a moment of silence for the, you know, the soldiers that passed away um, in Afghanistan. We don't really want to get too much into it. You can, you know, read it yourself all over. And like the the politics and the pointing the fingers aside, it, it, it's just it's really sad to see that you know the soldiers and the American flag lost so much respect the past couple weeks. And uh, you know, we have some. Um, unfortunate losses. So we'll just take a a quick moment to pause and uh, you know, for solidarity and remembrance.
0: Great. Thanks. So that's, thanks for bringing that up. I think, um, you know, anytime you lose 13 Americans, I mean, that's just horrible. Right. Yeah. And again, you can politicize it however you want. At the end of the day, we lost 13 people defending our nation abroad. So it's the ultimate sacrifice, really. A lot of them are kids, families, uh, you know, people that won't have them come back for the holidays, unfortunately. So sad to hear. And, uh, What's really nice, kudos to all the restaurants leaving the the reserved tables out, you know, mm-hmm. putting the bud lights out there, saying this table's reserved for the week or the day or whatever it is. I mean, that's a it's just a such a small gesture and even our, our guy Ed Brady was doing it at a Thirsty Beaver who said, you know, this this will does not even compare, you know, me losing a table basically for the night does not compare to the sacrifice they made for mm-hmm. me and those protecting our nation. So, if you are a serviceman or women listening to our podcast, of course we We cannot thank you enough for the sacrifices that you make for uh, your family and for us uh, as U.S. citizens. So thank you for everything that you do. Um, Positive way to end the show. So thanks for bringing that up. Uh, That's episode 59. Go follow us, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and we will be back with some more cool stuff for episode 60 and beyond. That's Will and I'm Jake. So long, folks. Take it easy.